Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Mailbag, where we answer your questions to help you build a team this 2023 preseason. My name is Damo, and joining me as he usually does is Clarky. How are you, mate? Doing very well. Um, doing the peace signs in an audio format. Yeah, people can't see that, Clarky. Uh, you... you think I know after, what's this, season three of Mailbag? Yeah, this is the third season. Uh you should be pretty, pretty on the ball with that sort sort of stuff. Let's our, get to, let's get to the guests. Our special guest this week is part of the KFC Supercoach team. It's Al Payton. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, gents. Absolute pleasure to be here. I can't believe I'm just looking at the screen, counting down now. There's 27 days and five minutes until uh, the first lockout of the KFC Supercoach season. So that is creeping up on us. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of anticipation around. This year, people really looking forward to the footy season, um, having uh, the AFL back and uh, KFC Supercoach as well. So, yeah, there's, you know, I can tell you from what we're doing, there's, you know, heaps of engagement, people getting on the side earlier than ever and um, starting to pick their teams, which is great to see. But, um, yeah, plenty to talk about. And the preseason games just around the corner, starting starting next week, actually. Uh, is there a player currently in your team, Al, that needs to cement themselves with a good preseason performance? Um, oh, yeah, plenty of those. I think the preseason also just is going to be so interesting this year when we have this first round of games that are all, I'm not even 100% sure, are they being televised anywhere or do you need to be like a member to get the, the link and, you know, they're just streaming through a camera on the back of a truck or something and we're going to be trying to spot who's uh, playing and, you know, running off halfback and which rookies are getting the game. So there'll be so much interest in that. I know the Herald Sun is planning to send reporters out to all these games, so we'll be um, drilling them before they go and making sure they're watching the right guys. Um, so keep an eye on that. And then the next week we get one weekend of like official practice matches, um, which will be on Fox footy. So um, we'll be all over those. And yeah, any um, players who bob up in you know one or two of those games could definitely earn a spot in lots of super coach teams. And there's plenty of mine, probably one guy that I've just put in my team in the last couple of days that I definitely want to see in the flesh before I um, go there and uh, lock him in for round one is Charlie Constable at Gold Coast. We know he's been on the fringe for a few years, uh, put out some massive numbers in Geelong's VFL team uh, a couple of years ago um, and, you know, looked like he was sort of a super coach rookie just waiting to burst onto the scene and it just hasn't quite happened for him even at the Suns last year. But now the reports are he's got found a role for him in the back line, um, which we know can be really good for super coach. So um, I've got him on my uh, defensive bench at the moment, 123K, but, um, yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, wouldn't be doing that just on faith. You want to actually see some of these guys in action, you know, it's one thing to see it on Twitter, but uh, another thing to actually watch him in the flesh. You know what? The, so the Melbourne practice game is on the 4th of March, I believe, against Richmond, and it's at Casey Field. So uh, we we live not too far away from Casey Field, so, which is great as a Melbourne fan. Uh, but it's actually the one weekend where my, my brother is getting married and he's having oh. his bucks that weekend. And I've already I've already chastised him about it, but my lovely, lovely wife is now going to the practice match to tell me just how much of a split Gorn and Grundy are going to have in that match. So she's doing, she's doing the legwork for me this year. She can tell you all of the good super coach goss as well. Let's get to the questions because there's quite a lot of them. We'll start with this one from Fraser Kenny. He wants to know Sheed slash Warple and Cornelio or Sam Flanders and Jack McRae. 
Uh, oh, I, I always find these. I was thinking before I came on. I hope there's not too many of these questions where someone says, you know, these six players or these six players. It always gets very complicated. But um, I did see a note from uh, I think John Ralph was out at the Dogs today. They had some um, intra club action, and he just had a note in there about how their midfield mix is going to look this year. Caleb Daniel has gone in, um, is the one big change. And there was a note that Jack McRae might be pushing forward a bit more. So that sort of uh, had some alarm bells all over it from uh, from what I could see. And, yeah, I mean, Flanders is another one that we're definitely going to be watching. Um, I'll have to look up when these Gold Coast practice games are on because, um, you know, the numbers-wise, it's all there um, from what he's done in the VFL and, you know, in his draft year and everything else. It's just cracking into that midfield because even if he gets named in round one, I don't think I'd be confident enough to pick him because he could easily just be playing on the half-forward line and, you know, score 70 points. But if he can actually get into that centre square, he could be a fantastic pick um, at his price. But, yeah, I think both those guys probably are a little bit uh, risky for me at this stage. Who are, who are the first uh, options? Uh, Sheed or Warpool and Cornelio. Oh, well, I, yeah, I probably like that one because um, I'm a big fan of Cornelio. Uh, obviously, he was great for us last year. And in the second half of the season – when he was played as a centre-bounce midfielder. He averaged about 112, I think. And I can't see that changing with Hopper and Taranto going out. Obviously, they've got a new coach. But, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet for him to average, you know, 105-plus probably in the forward line. And Sheed Warple, probably Sheed I'm a little bit more confident on. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, again, let's look at all these guys because we know Warple was good a few years ago, but then his numbers in the last couple of years have been pretty terrible to be honest but um obviously there's some some opportunity there potentially in the Hawks midfield and Sheed coming back from injury I think he would just be a safe you know maybe 90 point guy but you know that that could be enough at that price yeah so I think Warple is going to be 100% the as we said practice matches are around the corner and he's one that's going to be I think really high on people's radar so I'm not even keen really to pit him right against Sheed as go one or the other because we just don't know um, at this stage, it's all reports and training and everybody's doing great in the preseason. Mm-hmm. But out of those two options, you know, I love the draft doctors. So in solidarity with them, I am a Sam Flanders truther. Mm-hmm. But um, we, we know pr- pretty much with a reasonable amount of certainty, the top three forwards for this year, barring injury or any kind of significant setback, surely at this stage has to be Canelio. Dunkley and Taranto. So why would you deprive yourself of someone who is clearly going to be in the you know, the top forwards, which is a much harder line to find the premium in than the midfield, like you know, Al pointed out that there's been reports at the moment of Jack McRae kind of doing the, the old Bevo salad and moving around a bit, McRae and Bont both um in recent matched him in intra club kind of stuff. So, you know, at this stage, why would you deprive yourself of someone who is probably, you know, let's let's be cautious and say a top five forward. You know, that, that just makes more sense because you can easily find a stepping stone in the mids, cons- you know, conservatively would be easier than in the forwards. Cornelio has the history of being a fairly reliable scorer when he's played in the midfield, which looks like that's where he will be under Adam Kingsley. Um, Sheed's underpriced, so if he can return to where he has averaged in the past, he's uh, he's going to make you about 100 to 150K. Warble and Flanders, you're banking on them to break out, and if you want a safer selection, you would go with 
Sheed and Cornelio rather than Flanders and McRae because you know that Sheed and Cornelio can potentially reach heights that these other guys probably, well, we don't know if they're going to reach that high. And then Jack McRae, I feel like he's going to be a solid selection, but it depends on where Luke Beveridge wants to play him. I think he could be one of those up and down midfielders who probably who might slide out of the top eight to 10 midfielders, but be a solid selection for the run home. If he, if he um, comes down to a gettable price. So yeah, I think um, Shade and Cornelio is probably the pick of that. Uh, We'll move to the next question. Probably, probably should ask um, Dan Batten this one, considering it's about a rookie, but (laughs) <laughs> is Cam McKenzie a good on-field option for early in the season? Uh, I could take that on notice for uh, for Dan, but I mean the reports, you know, are really good out of the Hawks. So what is he? 180k. So you would want to put him on the field if you're picking him. You don't want 180k sitting on your bench. Um, I guess it's just you know who else have we got there? I think everyone's pretty much starting Will um, Ashcroft and also Will Phillips in those sort of um, you know, M seven, M eight kind of spots. Do you want another one eighty k midfielder there? It's yeah. How how many um how much can we spend on some of those rookies? I think after those two, I probably want to be going down to some you know one twenty three, one seventeen kind of guys. But um uh you know we just talked about the Hawks. There's their midfield is wide open for someone to go in there and um and do really well. <coughs> Pardon me, do really well. Um, I just. I'm a little bit nervous after, you know, we all picked uh, Josh Ward last year and he had a fantastic preseason um, and same sort of, um, you know, pedigree, high draft pick and plenty of opportunity. But just with these kids in their first year, it is hard for them to score consistently, uh, you know, 70s, 80s. They might then, you might get a 90 or 100, then the next week they drop a 50. Um, so apparently Ashcroft might be an exception to the rule, but, um, you know, that's probably one of the, the things we like about Phillips. At least he's been in the system for a few years, so... Um, I probably I mean he's not in my team at the moment, but I guess if he um, tears up a, a preseason game, that could change. Josh Ward from last season has me a little concerned. I don't want to pay 180k for a rookie who'll average 45. So I'm probably gonna steer clear of Josh Ward the best I can. And as you said, if you're playing 180k, you probably want this person, this player on the field, and I just don't have room for him. So he's one that I'm probably not going to start unless he has an amazing preseason game. Uh, Sam Mitchell seems to like to ease his new players into the system a bit slowly. So I I don't know if I can pay 180K for someone who is going to be a bit hot and cold, could potentially have dates with the the sub vest as as well. Yeah, I think Hawthorne probably very realistically are setting their sights on achievable rather than, you know, they know that they're not going to come out of the blocks and, you know, be top four this year because they've got all this young talent. So I think Sam Mitchell will probably do the right thing and, you know, really find the right roles and the right um, positions for his players throughout there. So 180K is a little bit steep, but really if I'm paying that much, I want to know that the job security is there. And I just it's it's just really hard to tell at this time of the year. So I think there's there's all the opportunity in the world for these young kids, but I think I'd probably 
like you guys said, I'd probably prefer someone who's been in the system a little bit longer, you know, had some time at AFL level or even training at AFL level, and then they can move into, as you know, we see like the second year breakouts and the third year breakouts where they kind of find find their footing. So, I mean, it could be a god on field option for early in the season if he has the security. I mean, we're paying, we we got to pay for the rookies. That's that's the number one thing. Economy is the game. It's not, you know, it's not about you've got to get this rookie that's going to score you a 90. Um, I think Ashcroft will be very close to a Sam Walsh-like by all reports, but that's an anomaly in a one in a million. That question was from uh, Frank Foote via the website comments. Thanks, Frank. Clarky, you've got your eye on Tim English. Um, the super coach Roach wants to know if his soft tissue issue, uh, problems are too much of a concern or does 36 trades make it less of a risk? See, and it it's one thing that I've really, I really like with the increase in trades as we go on and like the evolution of Supercoach as a game is that it does allow you to take more risks. Previously, you know, when we had more limited trades, you know, I think I remember when I started, it was probably closer to the 30 mark. Um, in terms of trades, there were no trade boosts and things like that. So a preseason soft tissue injury would have been really concerning, and it still is, um, especially on Tim English, who has been, you know, one of the probably R1 for most people, I would say, this season. Um, but, you know, it's probably worth the risk. He's got time to deal with the soft tissue injury. It's not great. And Tim English himself has had a pretty unlucky run with injury in the past uh, past season as well. So I think it's it's definitely on the watch list. I am not concerned per se, but I am cautious. So if he's not going to be 100% for round one, I'd probably be pivoting to, say, a Marshall or... A lice, you know, not even Lyset. Lyset is apparently carrying some injury at the moment, so maybe a teakle. Um, but um, yeah, I'd probably be pivoting round one to somebody who, at least, we know their body's fit. I think everybody at this stage of because we don't know exactly how the ruck situation is going to pull out. I'd be put, pivoting to someone who you think is going to be a keeper, so a Jared Witts type, or somebody who is cheaper but gives you an option to look in. So a Darcy Cameron, if he's come out of your side, probably bring him back in to give yourself a look. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely, there's still time. As Al said, it feels it feels really close when you're looking at the timer and it says 27 days now, but that's still considerable amount of weeks for him to get his body right and to return back to full training. And it doesn't discount all of the work he's done so far. I mean, I think everyone's pretty comfortable with the fact that set and forget is gone now with Gorn and Grundy now at the same team. But I just think you'd hate to be agonizing over your ruck line every time Tim English gets subbed out, has a niggle, misses a few weeks. I think the extra trades help, but you don't want to be using 10 trades just to get a durable ruck. And we know that there's been previous seasons where ruckmen have been traded out and you've just been spending trade after trade week after week on these ruckmans coming in and out in and out (laughs) yeah so 
I I think if you're paying 580k for a Rackerman, you want them to be there for the entire season or as close to the entire season as possible. I don't think the extra trades should give you that extra security to start someone just because. Yeah, I'm, ne- I'm nervous. I'm nervous. But I don't know what I'm doing in that. Uh, I think I'm happy with Rowan Marshall at R1, but after that, I've got no idea. So, yeah, news today that Bryn Teekle might be uh, going up, you know, right up the top of the uh, the pecking order at Port Adelaide is is intriguing. If we could somehow start a second ruck for 180 grand, um, yeah, I'd probably just about do that, I think. I think I think a lot of people would do that, to be honest. I think... Um... I really think that at 198k or whatever he is, I think if he is, if Ken Hinckley comes out and says that he's going to be their number one ruckman and they're going to back him in for the season, I don't think too many people would have too many issues starting him and able and being able to beef up other places or other areas of the ground. Well, let's let's be real about it. We did that last year with Matt Flynn. We we did the same thing. You know, a lot so a lot of people did the same thing where they took this ruck who is bargain price. Let let's say bargain price, and he's he pushed himself all the way up to four hundred. He's four hundred sixty four thousand this year. So it's not unheard of for a lower price ruck. It's it comes down to the same thing: is that it's it's about opportunity and security. So if Lysette's setback is going to push him back, you know four to six weeks, you know, or anything like that, that gives you enough time to get the Bryn Teekle economy, you know, if he's getting those times and if he proves that he can play well at the AFL level. Um, I don't see any problem with that. I, you know, it'd be pretty ballsy again, you know, same thing with it's scary to do, but I can see some coaches doing that. And if it comes off, then you, you know, you feel like an absolute winner. You feel like all the lights and bells are going off and the coins are pouring out. And the, I mean, the bonus, obviously, is, as Damo said, like that just gives you 400, 500 grand to spend somewhere else. I mean, imagine what you could do with that. So <laughs> it would be very tempting. But um, yeah, you'd want, to, you'd want to be confident he's, he's the man there. I know, um, I know it's not specifically related to the question, but Damo, you did say uh, set and forget is dead, uh, which is something that I've been hearing this preseason. I, I wonder if I can get your guys' opinion on it. Do you? Do we think is set and forget dead purely because Gorn and Grundy are on different teams now, or do we think it maybe just pivots to another set of two rucks? Like you know, maybe it could be Tim English or Rowan Marshall or Darcy Cameron and another one of those, like a Jared Witts. Um, is set and forget really completely dead and buried? I mean. It's all about finding those that next set of players that you can just lock in without even really think without even really thinking. So it's dead for now, but it might be revived early in the season once once we know which Ruckman are gonna stand up. Yeah, I mean halfway through the year it might be obvious that we all should have just picked Marshall and English or Marshall and Grundy or Blitzarms <laughs> and um, Luke Jackson or something. I mean, we just it's so unknown. So <laughs> Um, I was about to say Blitzarves as well, so you <laughs> read my mind, Al. Blitzarves and Nick Natanui, set and forget, yeah, long exactly. live. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind Nick Nat, but anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> we'll move on to the next question. Josh P has actually asked a couple of questions, um, but we'll start with this one. Uh, is Yo at your first defensive position, so D1, <laughs> a real possibility? Josh, no. 
it's it's not. As as much as people keep talking about all the value options in defense, I still think the rookies probably have the worst job security. And I've rarely seen a team of team full of mid prices, if that's how you want to manage it, do well or pan out the way people want. So I think Yo at D1, I love I love when people take risks, but I don't think that this is a calculated risk. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, look, I I don't like poo-pooing people's ideas <laughs> too hastily, right? Because it's all about how your team as a whole looks, and I'm just I'm just kind of scrolling through the list now to see if you've got Yo at D1. Who are your options? Who's going to be D two? Because realistically, you are doing value, but you're kind of doing it irresponsibly. <laughs> well, I mean, I've got like I think um, you could go with just maybe one of these real top top you know six hundred k defenders, or, or certainly um, two, um, or you know maybe one in a day cost or something like that. But um, you know, that would give you – I think even my defence at the moment has five rookies, three on the field with, you know, Gimby as the, the most expensive guy there and then, you know, down to a couple on the bench. But if you've got Yo at D1, you've got seven rookies. Can, can you tell me seven defensive rookies who we're confident are going to play every week? That's a massive call. And then, you know, we know how injury-prone Yo is. What happens if he goes down? You lose your D1. Uh, I'm not sure where you'd go from there. Well, you've got such great options as Supercoach King Noah Bolter. Um, Hunter Clark, I guess. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Why not? Worst, maybe Tom McCartan, Jaden <laughs> Hunt at two eighty five. He is somebody who is an out there prospect, but could average seventy. <laughs> so there's yeah, about. I think he, there probably is some value there, but I mean, he's just not going to score enough points to be. Look. Josh, I'll compromise with you. Make Yo your D2. <laughs> Make your D1 Sam Doherty, and you can have Yo at D2. I'll allow it. Not that it's my place to allow you to have your team. Make it however you want, and I support you because you're our special little super coaches. But just just pick a, pick a top-tier D1. Pa- have a parachute plan. Always have a parachute plan because some you don't want to pull the cord and find out it's an anchor. <laughs> I t- tell you what, Josh really likes his value options because his next question asks, is Ben Cunnington rightly or wrongly flying under the radar? I love that. That's a much that's a much better question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, no, they're all great I, questions. I think he is a little bit, but the, like I think he is actually good value there and he could average, you know, easily 90s and, you know, for his price, that'd be a great return. The problem is that forward line... Like, are you picking him ahead of, like, we were talking about the guys before, you know, would you pick him ahead of Taranto or ahead of Canelio? Um, there's just too many, of you know, I, I can't pick all those guys that I want to pick as it is. You know, I love, well, I haven't got Rosie, you know, you know, I'd love to have him. I'd like to have Butters. Um, obviously, those guys are a little bit more expensive. But, yeah, I think just those forward spots are at such a premium that there's sort of no room for him there. He'll shoot up once he has a good role in the preseason matches. And I think... I, I found I think that a lot with um because you could probably ask the same question about LDU 
because they'll use in that same bracket of what him, Tom Green, Tom Mitchell are all kind of around that weird price that people are like, there's opportunity, there's a kind of pattern that we can recognize, you know, why is this guy not being picked by people? And it's because Ben Cunnington's in this weird space, which is North Melbourne, and nobody knows what's going on there. Is Aaron Hall going to play like a really decent role in the back line? Where's Jack Zebel playing? Because that's one that comes up pretty regularly. Like they're kind of in this weird little bubble where nobody nobody knows what's behind the shields. So once we kind of know that Ben Cunnington, you know, if he's going to get, you know, what is it, 40, 50%, 60% CBAs, you know, is that going to be the split or is it going to go to the younger guys? Then that'll really cement whether people are going to take that as a value option. And I mean, he's in 10% of teams, which isn't outrageously low. Yeah, that seems about right. One in ten. I don't have him, personally, because my eggs were in the Errol Goulden basket. Um, but even then, that's that's a completely different piece. So, he's it's not right or wrong that he's flying under the radar. I think it's, it's about where people want to take their risks. Like I said, Josh is really looking for some value. Great name, Josh. I love it. I support should, you. Should there be more interest in Lockie Hunter? Uh, not that I can think of in draft. I could see picking him in draft could be a good good move. He needs to average 95 to make 100K. His history suggests it's a coin flip as to whether that will happen. He's cheaper he than I thought, to be honest. I didn't realise he was in the 300s, but... He has a good year and then a bad year, a good year and then a bad year. He, he I think he's gone like 80, 88, 102, and then 86, and then uh, and then 115 or something in 2020. Yeah, he had one really big year, yeah. I mean, 2020, shortened quarters, it was a different kind of scoring regime because it was the shortened quarters. I think, I think, at his price, he needs to average ninety-five to be worth it. And in a new system, I don't know if he will get there. I think he could get there. I'm probably a little bit more closer to he will than you, Damo, um, based on what you're saying. But that's purely, I could see him going to a point where. Um, He's going to be playing opposite Ed Langdon, right? And they're going to be playing pretty similarly into role. Like Ed, Ed Langdon will run the ball from, you know, the defensive square to the forward square to kick a goal. But Lockie Hunter, is his game style is going to be a little bit different to that, but he's still going to be integral to the way Melbourne moved the ball off the wing. Um, I could see him probably averaging similar to Langdon would be, I think the basement of how that goes, which is what, like a five to maybe 10 point upside to what he's currently priced at, which isn't enough to make him a stepping stone. So if you're interested in him, you're probably interested in him because you think he can go 90, Um, which I think he'll, yeah, he'll have a week where he just goes absolutely nuts because the ball's on that side of the field. And then you'll have a week where it's not so good because the ball's on the other side of the, you know, the other wing. Um, I know Azza 
um, the wonderful statsman Azza is very interested in Lockie Hunter um, and thinks that the data backs that you know he could conceivably get back to some of his best football. And yeah, let's say let's say as well he left the Bulldogs in not the happiest way. Um, that was kind of a bittersweet ending. So you know this might revitalize him and give him some opportunity to do some other things. I don't see it. I think there are better options at just under four hundred. The you know the three ninety two mark is an interesting price point to play with and fit into a structure. Yeah, I think that's his biggest biggest problem in KFC Supercoach because I could actually see him going all right on a wing there at the MCG if Melbourne go through and we know he can just rack up you know it's a bit a little bit of a seagull in the nicest possible way and um, pick up plenty of the pill and um, yeah you could definitely have some good games but it's just yeah where does he fit into your team like um, he probably has to be a stepping stone at that price. You know, I can't see him being a keeper. He's not going to be a top eight midfielder. Um, but then, yeah, again, you sort of put him in the same bracket as guys like um, Dom Sheed or um, Jacob Hopper and they're, you know, a fair bit cheaper. They could probably score similarly. So, yeah, it's just hard to, to find a spot for him, I think. Next question comes from Slacky via the website comments. He's curious to hear our thoughts on starting with Aaron Hall as a point of difference this year. He's put in brackets, high scoring potential and high injury risk. You're certainly right, Slacky. Um, and he also wants to know our thoughts on Jack Zeeble if he's being played in the back line. I'm interested in Zeeble. I mean, he's, what, 100K more than he was when we got him a couple of years ago and he went back to that defensive role and just... Um, you know, played the best role in the history of Supercoach where every time North had the ball, they just went through him. Um, yeah, you'd want to see it in action again to see if that's exactly what he's doing uh, this time around. But, I mean, we know he can do it. He's, you know, obviously he's getting towards the end of his career, but it's it's a perfect role for him because it doesn't, you know, he can sort of direct traffic and, you know, he's a very smart footballer, obviously, getting the right spots. Um, yeah, I can see him scoring quite well. I mean, Hall, I think, like, you know, we all... Injury risk is a, is a tricky thing because, you know, we all talk about it and then we always take risks because you kind of have to, you know, if you want to get some value, we want to pick Ellie Yo, even though we know he's, he's got a shocking injury history or Nat Fife or somebody. But I think Hall just has gone beyond, like it's just the injury risk is so bad that he, um, you know, you couldn't even guarantee that he's going to last out the first game that you pick him in. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's just way too risky for me. Sounds horrible, but I think the perfect time to jump on Jack Zebel is if Aaron Hall gets injured. Um, because or when, <laughs> yeah, when Aaron Hall gets Ooh. gets gets injured, I probably should say. But 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 that's because back when Jack Zebel was that hundred k cheaper and playing that super coach friendly role in defence, he was taking the kickouts, he was distributing the ball, and then Aaron Hall came along. And they inserted him into the back line and then Jack Siebel's influence started to falter and then they started to move him in different parts of the ground. So how long does Jack Siebel stay in defence for? How long does Clarko think that he fits down there? How long until Clarko moves him? Because something isn't quite working the way he had hoped. I I think Aaron Hall is probably safer in terms of scoring, but I wouldn't start him because, as as you said, Al, the injury risk is almost like you can't even guarantee him to run out of full of, to run out of full game really i think ultimately i don't like really either option 
Um, <laughs> like it just it comes down to one again. It's Aaron, Aaron Hall. Like you know, you guys talk about the injury stuff, and that's all perfectly valid. But I think there's there's this weird kind of I don't want to say hypocrisy, but weird kind of like. 180 where people will look at someone like Elliot Yo and go, oh, well, but he's had a full preseason, no niggles or anything like that. I'll start him anyway. And I think that shows that gap between the price ranges because Aaron Hall is yeah. slightly more expensive, I believe, than Yo. Not by too much. But, um, you know, that's really... Yeah, what's he? 538. Sorry, I'm just, just yeah. quickly checking myself. And, like, that's... That's a significant price to pay for someone with huge upside, but injury risk. So I think that's like this weird line that we draw where we'll take it with a mid-pricer because we know that's a roll of the dice. But if you're spending 530k on a guy as a as a pod as well, like 530k, you could get Mason Redman, who I would say is another point of difference player that has huge upside. Even Jordan Ridley is around just at the 500 mark. Um 504, Nick Dacos, like Harry Hemelberg, even Caleb Daniel, 492. I think there's other like significant pot options that don't carry the same level of risk. And especially since you're flagging it to yourself, that means that it is a sticking point for you. Um, you know, to, to speak to the question directly, if you're flagging it, they go high upside, but high injury risk. Well, why not go for a guy like a Caleb Daniel who was playing midfield minutes in, you know, an intra club today, yeah, sure, that doesn't guarantee what's going to happen in the salad during the year. But, you know, you save a bit of money and you know he's a guy who's best 22, doesn't have a huge injury history and uses the ball really well. Like he has all these upsides without that big downside that you're flagging. Um, Jack Siebel, he's too expensive. He doesn't make much sense to me pick him as a pod. There's a lot of really good pod options in the forward line as well. Um, it's just a weird price point and doesn't interest me without knowing what North Melbourne are going to do. And I'd be more than happy to pick him up during the season if all things are going right. This next question is the exact reason why I'm avoiding any Carlton midfielder to start the season. (laughs) Uh, This comes from Coit in the website comments. What is Cripps going to average over the first four to eight weeks versus his overall uh, with Walsh out, he can see him being a really strong starter, but isn't a hundred percent sure on where he may finish. Uh, he'd love to know our opinions on it. Uh, he's been in my team at some stages. He's not at the moment, but basically for that exact reason, then with Walsh out, knowing how he started last year, um, just trying to look up who he plays early doors. So who, who the Blues got? I think they've got a reasonable run to start. Richmond, got Richmond, obviously. Geelong, GWS, North. Adelaide and St Kilda as the first six. So and then West Coast. Probably, so that yeah. GWS North Adelaide. <coughs> Adelaide. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> uh, sorry. Um, yeah, that run from round three: GWS North Adelaide, St Kilda, West Coast. You could imagine him going on a bit of a tear um, in those games. And last year it was weird because he was going so well early. He obviously had a bit of a, an injury game. Then he. Um, fell back to the pack and had like five games in a row where he didn't get 100. And then he finished the year in a blaze of glory, you know, averaged 120 over the last five games or something. So, um, yeah, I mean, we know he can do it. He's, you know, he's an absolute beast. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's the worst option at all. Sam Walsh is such a huge part of how that team works. So when he returns, I think there could be some kind 
sort of adjustment period when he gets reinserted into the lineup because he seems to be the man that they the main man that they want at at the stoppages every single time. But when he comes back, how how long will that adjustment take? And it could have all sorts of ramifications for a whole set of players in their outputs just when he returns. So yeah, I'm I'm avoiding any Carlton midfielder to start the season, but I don't hate people taking the plunge because I can see a world where Cripps and Hewitt even start the season well and continue to start well and continue to play well, I should say, even when Sam Walsh returns. Patrick Cripps over the first four to eight weeks will average 110. And that's fine. Like, that's good. There's probably going to be like a 160 in there and then like a 105, but then like a, you know, a 110, 115, like some really good scores. But you're picking a guy for four to eight weeks at 610,000. Does he make enough money then when Sam Walsh comes back and Patrick Cripps goes down or if he goes down? you know, and then becomes like an 85, a 90 guy. And that's not because he's a bad footballer. That's just because the role's changed. Like, what what do you do then? Are you going to jump off him? And then it, by that time, has he lost money? Like, what's what do you see him averaging for the season and not for four to eight weeks? Because four to eight weeks is great, but then you have to you have to jump on the elevator that's going up when yours starts going down. The upside, I guess, where you'd be picking him on the basis that you think, he can average 110 even when Walsh is there, which he basically did last year. But give him six weeks at the start of the year when he's just carrying the team on his back and he can average 125 in those six weeks. You get off to a hot start and then by the end of the year it averages out. So, you know, he finishes at a 115 average or something like that. I could I could see that happening. Yeah, I can see a world where that is the case. But then they're also injecting guys like Doherty into the midfield. So, you know... Like, the, how does that change how Patrick Cripps attempts it? Like, you know, he did go on the same big run when Doherty was in the midfield at the end there. But I think what, like, you know, how's this Carlton mix going to work without Sam Walsh? Like, they've got Adam Chera still? Is he still there? Does he exist? Like, is because he was an absolute jet at Fremantle. And he went to Carlton. And then is this the time where he comes and shows well, this is why this was a big deal that I was going from Frio to Carlton or wherever. So does that then change what happens? I just, 610,000 on Patrick Cripps just feels like it's not for me. But if if you back yourself into doing that, I think that's you need to see him averaging that for a long term and not looking at a short sample. Because once the points are gone, then like that's fine. But if he goes down and dips at any point, then you're having to pivot, which kind of feels a bit inefficient when you could. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I think there's like three or four mids that are around that price that are really quite interesting that you'd basically be picking them as a pod thinking, you know, can I sneakily get a top eight mid that other people have kind of overlooked because they've dropped in price a little bit for some reason. And usually it's someone who's shown in the past that they could average 115, 120. But last year they were just a bit down and you could put Cripps in that bracket and say, well, I think he can score better than his average because of what he's priced at because of the Walsh factor. You know, Darcy Parrish sort of fits in the same bracket, very similar price to Cripps. Um, you know, he had a bit of an injury at one stage last year. Does that mean he's a little bit underpriced and being overlooked? Um, and then, you know, you've got Jack Steele as well, who we know has averaged over 120 before, averaged around 110 last year, so he's priced at that. But, you know, do you think if I 
just pay 600k for him i could be getting someone who goes back to his 115 120 ways and i've got him for that cheaper price but um yeah, yeah they're all they're all sort of a bit of, you know there's a bit of risk attached and you're kind of assuming that you know 120 is their natural scoring and um they were just down last year for some reason not that um you know the 120 was a, a real high and then last year was back to more what they we can expect I think you yeah, can plus yeah. or minus $10,000 on Patrick Cripps and get some really good options as well. So I think it's just about which horse you want to back. Like Christian Pajaka is 618 and then yeah. you can go all the way down to 580 and you've got Josh Kelly, who once again is actually more of a pod than Patrick Cripps. Patrick Cripps is currently in 12% of teams. Christian Pajaka is in 5%. Merritt's in 4 Darcy Paris is in 4 Josh Kelly's in 3%. Like... These are like Uber pods. So, I mean, I, sorry, I feel like I was overly negative in my in my <laughs> critique. And I, I do apologize because I do love Patrick Cripps and I think he's very good and I think he will score well. But I just, I want someone long-term at that price or someone who I think is going to be long-term. Like, what do I see them averaging for the whole year? Yeah, you're picking a top eight mid at that price. Yeah, I don't want to have to worry. Yeah, I don't want to have to worry about someone coming in and reducing that or changing that. Speaking of top eight in their position or top 10 in their position, Chris Harry on Twitter wants to know who are your sliders from the top primos in each line? Who's falling out for the likes of a Hayden Young, a Mason Redmond in defense or a Tom Green in the midfield? That's always the hardest question, isn't it? Because every, we're all tipping who's going to go up. LDU is going to average 110. Noah Anderson's going to average 110. You know, Tom Mitchell is going to go back to his old 115. Um, but, yeah, not everybody can go up. Some people have to come back down. And um, I was actually looking um, – looked up during the week my draft rankings from 12 months ago, and I had um, – Jake Lloyd was my number one ranked defender. And then, like, by the end of the year, he was just, like, not even on the radar. You wouldn't even think about picking him and, like – yeah, obviously I didn't see that coming. So that's um, it can be very hard to predict. But I mean, I suppose I am expecting Jack Sinclair to maybe come back to the pack a little bit. Just you know, that was just such a one out of the box uh, season, and you know he jumped so much on his average. Um, yeah, I mean, with I, all I those mean, defenders, it's so hard to see them. You know, you just assume they're all going to be really good again. I mean, yeah, from from defense, I'd say Shannon Hearn probably slips out of that yeah. top. That that top eight to ten, um, Jack Sinclair. Twelve months ago, you wouldn't have said that he was going to be a top ten defender, but here we here we are. He's 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 now the most expensive one there. Um, I reckon he's probably a good chance to slip out. I uh, wouldn't surprise me if James Sicily, now with the captaincy responsibilities, takes a small hit and slides a little bit because he might find that. They might need him to play a bit forward to help them there, move up to move up onto the wings a little bit to try and help the midfield group at, at, at times. I'm not sure. It's just something that could happen. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying it could happen. Um, as for the midfield, if McRae plays half forward wing, mm-hmm. like we've been seeing in the in the intra clubs or hearing about in the intra clubs, I don't think that he'll be a top eight to ten for uh, top eight to ten midfielder. Um, and I, I could see Callum Mills slipping, not because of anything other than, and we've spoken about it before in the mailbag, but he's a bit of a Mr. Fix-It because he's so talented. So I could see him sliding to maybe like a, you know, 10 to 15 range, even with, and with some absolutely big scores in there. Um, 
Christian Petrarca, I could probably see as well, sliding out of that top 10 to make way. Not Once again, not because of talent, but because of just he's going to have an explosive game and then a not-so-explosive game. And we still don't know if Dunkley helps or hinders Neil. Yeah, that's probably, I would say, the biggest one out of the top five. Because Neil's either going to be like top three again with Dunkley. <laughs> yeah. Or he's going to be probably just outside the 10. Just just barely. Like, it'll be a handful of points, I reckon. That just quickly going back to the defence, you're right. When you, you know, the top, 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 top end guys, it's really hard to see them falling too far. But it's interesting that you've got those five guys for over 600K. And then there is a bit of a gap. Like, Shannon Hearn is the next most expensive defender, which... Um, uh, I don't know if anybody's picking him. He's currently in 0% of teams, so there you go. Um, yeah, surely he drops back a bit. Then you've got guys like Witherden and Bailey Dale. Um, yeah, there's definitely some room for to, to sort of shake up that end of the, the top eight to ten defenders, at least anyway. We said at the top that the preseason games aren't too far away. Uh, we had a question via Instagram from Footy Mad Pete. Uh, he wants to know... How do I determine if a player is a trap or the real deal in preseason games? Grab that dice, buddy. Grab that D20. <laughs> Grab that D20 and just go. If it's a 15 plus when you say the name out loud, you pick them. That's good. <laughs> I think the best way to tell if a player is a trap or the real deal is watch the game. Who's missing from the team? What role are they playing? Do they pass the eye test? Do they look good playing where they're playing? Um, yeah, don't just look at stats and let that tell you the whole story. If you can't watch it, try and find someone who was there. Try and find a replay. I think watch these players before settling on them as a selection. Um, don't let and don't let a preseason performance play someone into your team. Yeah. Make sure that the person who comes into your team is someone you were already considering, already had a plan to fit in if they did well. Like, don't don't let someone have 40 disposals, kick three goals, lay eight tackles and play themselves into your team when in previous seasons they barely averaged 15 disposals and have been subbed out on several occasions. Like, don't... Don't back someone in because of a preseason game performance. You know, what? I, I find making a short list to be really helpful. So you go, you know, I've got the, like I'll use the Melbourne one, for example, because of course I would, you know, I'm going into this game and I want to see Brady Grundy, Max Gorn, Lockie Hunter, and, you know, Cozzy Pickett, whatever, because he might be getting midfield minutes, just like everybody. Um, and then, you know, you can watch that game and go, okay, well, what's his, is that role going to be there? What's the split? Okay, I see him doing this. I see him doing that. Because if you're just going in and you're not sort of like, oh, well, oh I've never heard of that guy and he's playing really well in this one preseason match. You've never heard of him before, but that's don't let him play yourself into your team. Like know who you want to look at and then be open to that stuff as it builds towards round one. So if you're only, you're only trying to confirm the team that you kind of currently have and the people that you're actually interested in, because you never really know rookies until they're named on the sheet. Everybody's having a great preseason until they're named on the sheet in round one. 
Yeah, no, I'd agree. I think, um, um, Damo, yeah, that comment about just, yeah, the eye test is really good to just watch and see, um, you know, it, does it look sustainable or is it just something out of the blue? And um, good timing for you to mention uh, that idea of a, a watch list, Clarky, because I think the Jock Reynolds crew are putting together just such a watch list for um, publication this week. And so keep an eye out on the Herald Sun and uh, all the News Corp uh, mastheads for that one, which will give us a bit of a steer as to, yeah, exactly, you know, what role changes or rookies and, you know, the, the things we should be watching for in these games. Yep, we are. I believe that's uh, Baron and I will have that ready for the KFC Herald Sun page very soon. That's all the questions for today. Thanks for joining us, Al. Oh, thank you, gents. It's been an absolute pleasure. Jock Reynolds, obviously one of the great uh, institutions of KFC Supercoach and um, I think ranked pretty highly on the Phantoms' uh, most influential uh, fantasy and Supercoach people on Twitter during the week, which is a, a big badge of honour. Well-deserved. I noticed that Phantom forgot that Azza was part of the Jock Reynolds crew, but, 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 but that's <laughs> I, all right. We can I believe I didn't make the list, uh, but I also believe that Lechdog's mustache should have been higher than Lechdog the person. <laughs> Clarky, thank you. It's always a pleasure. If you're listening to this and still haven't signed up for Supercoach, you're not too late, and now is the perfect time with preseason games just around the corner. And huge news, the winner of this year's Jock Reynolds group will take home a custom championship ring courtesy of Supercoach Champion. That's at SC Rings on Twitter. Join using the code 990360 to pick up a ring for your league. Head to supercoachchampion.com. Use hashtag jockmailbag to get your question answered in the next episode. And we'll talk next time.